This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie, and welcome. I've been so excited for this episode for a long time because today we're covering an artist that I discovered and I found that I'm really excited to finally get the chance to talk about. Do we have anything we should say first, or can I just start talking about who we're covering today? I don't think so. I mean, like, if you missed them, which would honestly be very surprising, we did just finish our two-part Barbie episode, if you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. And so if you've seen the movie recently or you're about to go see it and we're waiting for the hype to die down a little, then check out the episodes. We got a lot of rave reviews on the first one about, you know, the history of Barbie and then, Mm -hmm. of course, covering our movie reactions in the next one. So... Check them out. Check them out. Okay, amazing. So today for my artist, I'm covering Ursula Parrott. And I found her through a very fun way. So I have a bookshop right next to where I live in Nashville that I love it. It's my favorite bookshop ever. And anyways, I was browsing, you know, as my favorite activity is to go to bookstores and browse. Mm -hmm. And I found this book called Ex-Wife by Ursula Parrott. And on the back, It says, an instant bestseller when it was published anonymously in 1929, the story of divorce and its aftermath, which scandalized the jazz era. Which, like... Love it. What a sell. And first off, I was just like, wait, wait, wait. It was published anonymously in the 20s? And it ended up being a woman that wrote it? Well... Yeah, we know that quote for most of history, Anonymous was a woman. (laughs) Exactly. Anyways, this book sold 100,000 copies in its first year. Like, man, this woman was a multimillionaire because of her (laughs) writing and because of her books. Like, (laughs) truly insane. She had movies based on her books. And like, I'll talk about it, but the books that went on to like the screenplays that were based on her books, the leading lady would end up winning Oscars like in their roles. So this woman wrote so many books. I had never heard of this. And then I obviously bought the book because I was intrigued and I read it and I loved it. I was almost so surprised by how much I loved it. I think in my head, I still kind of have like the old stigma of like classics equals boring, you know? Mm. And and reading it it was so interesting to me how truly modern it felt i'm gonna read the front cover real quick for you i'm gonna talk more about ex-wife in a sec later obviously in the episode but just to give the spiel of what ex-wife's about it's 1924 and peter and patricia have what looks to be a very modern marriage both drink both smoke 
both work. Patricia as a head copywriter as a major department store, when it comes to sex with other people, both believe in honesty policy until they don't, or at least until Peter doesn't. And a shell-shocked, lovesick Patricia finds herself starting out all over again, but this time around as a different kind of single woman, the ex-wife. And so that's basically what happens is he's unfaithful to her in their marriage. She forgives him. He does it multiple times. And then she is unfaithful once. And he says, I can't look at you. You're disgusting. I'm leaving you. And anyways, I'll talk about the book later. But to start off, I'm already so worried about how potentially short this episode is going to be. But that is just an unfortunate reality of when you are covering women that are unsung heroes is... There's not tons and tons of research available about them. I will say, though, I think that we're hopefully at the beginning of an Ursula Parrott renaissance in the sense that this copy that I have was recently just published or republished in May of this year, I believe. So it's, you know, finally being published again. And by the way, the cover is beautiful. Look at it. Ah Ooh. Yes. <laughs> mm, I'm a sucker for good cover art. Uh-huh. It is we very We might end up buying cover. it. The cover <laughs> image is Art Deco or Modern Girl Dancing Woodblock Print Ink. I think this was done in 1932. So right around the time that this was done. But yeah, anyways, the artwork on the cover is beautiful, which is obviously very eye-catching as well. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, when I was researching her, like her Wikipedia article is so small and so short. All the articles I was finding online were really, really short. But I discovered that as of April of this year, a biography was written about her by a Marsha Gordon, Becoming the Ex-Wife, The Unconventional Life and Forgotten Writings of Ursula Parrott. And so I found that she had written this autobiography. I was able to read the entirety of Ex-Wife. I unfortunately didn't get the chance to read the autobiography, but it is on my like to read list now. I would mm-hmm. absolutely love to know more about her. But, you know, as we discussed many a times before, we can't read full autobiographies for every or full biographies I every really, time. I really, really wish we could. One day, if we reach a point, you know, <laughs> where we're only podcasting, maybe we will do that it. would be possible. Yes. But, <laughs> but for now, we are at least here to introduce the artist to you. Welcome her to your brain and so that you can be aware of her books and if you want to learn more there's a whole book that you can read that was just published this year a couple months ago so yeah that's awesome mm -hmm. but it was really like awesome too just because as I was researching her because I found this book like over a month ago and have known that I was going to be doing it but like the beginning of July Marsha Gordon had published an article about her like on a literary hub website so it was almost like as I was doing research for her I was finding new articles that were being published like in that time from when I started researching to when I ended which was like I said it made me hopeful that we're at the beginning of a Ursula Parrot renaissance, and hopefully there is more out there in the future. But for now, I'm just glad that we get to be a part of it because, mm-hmm. like I said, I was I was shocked I didn't know anything about her. And it's it's the tailest oldest time as far as the, what we've covered on the podcast of <laughs> they were know. so famous in their lifetime and then they weren't. Then they weren't. It does continue to baffle me though. Like mm-hmm. if you talk about the Jazz Age, we've got F. Scott Fitzgerald, and then oh you gosh. have her, and apparently they're both very accomplished very rich selling books and yet his name goes on to be read in every single english class and her name fades away exactly and as i was trying to like figure out ways to potentially like prolong this episode or dive into other things as far as just research goes i tried even just like searching 
jazz age women authors jazz age woman jazz age you know all kinds yeah. of things i was only getting the fitzgeralds <laughs> like second third pages of google and it was just like okay i don't feel like i'm gonna be getting anything here and it was frustrating yeah. because i now i'm like who else was even there that has now been totally eclipsed so true by the great gatsby nothing against the great gatsby i know it's a good book isn't that your favorite book it yeah for a long time it was i really really love it i don't know like i have a thing now where i'm like it shouldn't be a man's book you know what i mean or yeah. like oh, i don't know if that's great or not that i'm like i want to find a favorite book written by a woman instead like yeah. we're doing this podcast we can't like things that men have exactly done. but i do really love that book for the narrative it tells but also the way it tells it it's like a very beautifully written but yeah. i don't feel like the story suffers and it's hard to find a balance like that where it's like it's pretty language but like still a good plot you know? yeah i i 100 yeah. agree fine we appreciate art by men whatever yeah <laughs> I'm just plus if we believe the rumors there's some potential there that the great gatsby actually started out as a zelda fitzgerald novel that's so very Epstein. true so maybe i'll just tell myself that to make myself feel better <laughs> there we go future episode incoming yeah <laughs> <laughs> well okay let's dive into ursula and what we know about her like i said i was able to find a lot of more recent articles like the new york times and new yorker have done really great articles summarizing her but to do it briefly and apologies in advance if this episode feels disjointed but ursula parrot was born march 26th of 19 she was an american writer of romantic novels and her first book ex-wife like i mentioned was her most popular work and bestseller and was adapted for a film as the divorcee starring norma shearer and she ended up winning the oscar for like lead actress for her role in that movie which is really cool yeah, that's awesome. But a little bit about her personal life. So she was born Catherine Ursula Towell in Massachusetts. Her father was Dr. Henry Towell and her mother was Towell's second wife, Mary Catherine Flusk. She graduated from Radcliffe College, which is a small women's liberal arts college in Cambridge. And after graduation, she moved to Greenwich Village, where she met Lindsay Mark Parrott in 1920. Another Greenwich Village resident. I know. Wow. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure both of our artists that we covered in June had a Greenwich Village. Yes, they did. Yep. And so there's another listen it's the place to be it's making me feel a little jealous like, I, should i be moving to greenwich village <laughs> i think so <laughs> all of the artists from the 20th century i can almost mm -hmm. guarantee they were in greenwich village at some time so funny so like i mentioned she married lindsay mark parrot who at the time was a reporter for the new york times they married in 1922 they had a son named lindsay mark parrot jr two years later okay so this I, I don't know how and I don't know why. So his existence, her son, was kept a secret from her husband as he never wanted to have a son. Like just a son or children in general? I don't know. And I'm also, like I said, there were, in the research that was available online, I'm sure the biography that's written maybe goes into this. Yeah. But I had a lot of times where I was like, but why? Mm -hmm. And I, I could not figure out why. And how? Like, were they like long distance and not really close? Because, I mean, like you, hiding a nine month pregnant belly and like going to the hospital, like that just doesn't seem like a casual thing. No, it doesn't. Wouldn't that be really 
really interesting if there was a man who didn't want a son but wanted daughters. <laughs> That's very true. I'm going <laughs> to assume he just didn't want children because yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. The likelihood of that would be really rare. <laughs> but maybe. Anyways, so Ursula, she left the child in the custody of her father and her sister and then returned mm-hmm. to her husband Still just like not speaking a word about the son. It was until 1924, two years later, that Lindsay found out that he was a father. As a result, he immediately divorced her, rejected the existence of his son, never once went to see him. So actually now I'm wondering, it's like if they married in 1922, maybe it was like she had the baby right before they got married or something. That seems a really extreme reaction though. Like wouldn't you want to at least meet them? Not if you're a bad person, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Goodness. Maybe that's a harsh judgment to cast. I know. But... I mean, it wouldn't be the first time we've talked about a real winner of a spouse on here. <laughs> that's so true. Not <laughs> not a winner here. But it, anyways, so that's why she gets divorced is because he didn't want a son. He finds out that there is a son and he leaves her immediately. And she still saw her son often. She brought him gifts paid for his like Harvard education, but I'm pretty sure he stayed mainly in the custody of his sister and her dad for the majority Mm -hmm. of his life. It was actually really interesting because in the book, the afterward to the 1989 edition of this book was actually written by her son and it was really interesting thing to read like there's a line in here it's like what's certain to me is she was always trouble prone Uh, so it seems like he has a very complicated relationship with his mom but i think all in all he did remain to like admire her which i think is a good thing you know or at least admired her for what he was able to not to like put words in his mouth but that's what i gathered at least from the words he said so since they divorced she married three other men while she simultaneously continued to stay involved with her second husband charles t greenwood who was a prominent new york banker in 1934 she married john wildberg who was an attorney and then in 1937 an air force major coster Shermerhorn. in 1945 she actually fun fact was also rumored to have had affairs with f scott fitzgerald and sinclair lewis hmm wouldn't be shocking wouldn't be shocking and also just is a shame that f scott fitzgerald is the only author apparently that anyone cares about from the jazz age so (laughs) whatever another just like weird thing that i discovered about her is that in december of 1942 she became the subject of national coverage when she was brought up on federal charges of attempting to help the jazz guitarist michael neely bryan escape from the miami beach army stockade but she was actually found innocent by the jury at her trial. I think the soldier was accused of trafficking in marijuana and she helped him get free. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a crime. What a crime. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) She didn't have to necessarily serve any prison sentencing for that. But what's crazy though, is like when I was like going through the Wikipedia article and like tracking all the sources, like I was able to find the articles from like the forties of like, Oh, like, the writer, the ex-wife has been charged for this and this. So it was really scandalous and a really big deal. And I think, you know, always just goes to show the fame that she did have that it was like full on display what had happened here. I thought this paragraph was 
interesting. Like her fiction, Parrot's life was not without its marital disruptions and scandals. Wed and divorced four times, she found herself hauled into court in 1943 for helping a young soldier escape from military prison. What's more, the soldier was accused of trafficking in marijuana. Parrot was also reportedly the victim of numerous attempts at blackmail. In 1953, she was again in the news when, as Time Magazine reported, her hotel presented a $225 bill and she refused to accept her check. She spent 30 hours in jail in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, with her French poodle, Coco. And then also apparently, like, a friend later, like, sued her for stealing her silverware or something. Like I said, the information we have is very disjointed. She ended up passing away in 1957 at the age of 58 due to cancer. She died in just a hospital in New York City. So that's pretty much what I was able to find about her personal life. I'm going to go into a lot more about her work now because, I mean, generally, that's what I like to focus on anyways. But like I mentioned, her first novel, Ex-Wife, was published anonymously in 1929. It was a popular sensation almost immediately, and it sold more than 100,000 copies. What's cool is that MGM paid $20,000 for the film rights as well, and it was adapted for the film, as I mentioned, called The Divorcee. It came out in 1930, starring Norma Shearer, who won an Oscar for her role. She also starred in a adaption of strangers may kiss published in 1930 her novel next time we live was adapted for film as next time we love and as a writer she was most successful between 1929 and 1940 her son estimated that she earned around seven hundred thousand dollars but the equivalency in 2022 dollars is 14.6 million goodness gracious yeah and what's crazy is she was doing this in the 30s which yeah is not historically an economically great time for the United States. And she was making so much money from the movie studios and because her books were just doing so well that $14 million equivalency. I don't think we've covered someone who's <laughs> no. actually was that financially successful from I their don't works. think so. I mean, it's hard with like conversion rates. So like, correct us if I don't know, you kept mm-hmm. track of every person we've covered. No, <laughs> but I don't think so. Insane. <laughs> like, I know we've had people who've like reached success and reached fame and I'm sure like the movie stars, you know, maybe oh, hit true. some type of equivalency, but like, but no one from the past that we've like, that's, that's a lot of money. like now an unsung name that no one even really knows. Yeah, that's insane. I know. I was very shocked to read that. But I want to talk a little bit more about the ex-wife. So like I mentioned, it tells the tale of Pat and Peter, a married couple in their 20s who are convinced that they don't need to follow the rules in the pursuit of marital bliss. But when Peter, who is strayed, learned that Pat has done the same just once, by the way, in a tipsy moment of emotional weakness his attitudes towards her is no longer so modern and the rest of the book is devoted to pat or patricia coming to terms with her new status as an ex-wife which it was really interesting to me like how character driven it was and also truly just how modern it felt Mm -hmm. i felt like i was reading things that i was like Oh, like, it was so shocking to me that this was 100 years ago that this book came out. I mean, even in the sense that, like, within the first 40 pages of the book, the main character has an abortion. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, it's really tragic that she gets pregnant and she thinks, awesome, he'll stay with me. My husband will stay with me. And he throws her through a glass door and says, get an abortion. 
And so she does. And so it's, it's very, very sad, but it's also to me, like it just felt so not jarring necessarily, but I was just actually very surprised how candidly like she was writing about this, you know, when you open a book that came out in 1930, you don't expect to like read about abortion within the first Mm -hmm. couple pages, you know? Yeah. It was really interesting. And then to continue on with the plot of it, she like moves in with a roommate who is also divorced. And so it's kind of like tells the tale of the two of them. A lot of it's like them having lunches or going out to bars or speakeasies together, drinking and like discussing the problems of being an ex-wife, going on dates and like all the men that she dates after. But in the end, I think it does reach some type of happy conclusion where she finds peace in her life. And, you know, I don't want to give it away because you have to read it. But it was really good. This is from... Um, the New Yorker. I really liked these couple paragraphs. So it says, in the summer of 1929, a provocative New York novel titled Ex-Wife arrived in bookstores, quickly selling out of its first printing. Walter Winchell, the gossip columnist and radio host, called it a sensational book about husbands and sex, which what I thought was interesting is that, like I mentioned, it was published anonymously, but that wasn't uncommon, actually. And they did it for like as a marketing gimmick at the time. Oh, so okay. I wonder if it was almost like a way to like signify like, ooh, this is scandalous and this is new because they don't even want to put their name on it. Okay. Like it's so dirty or whatever. So shocking yeah. that. You don't even know who wrote it. But the author was actually soon outed in the gossip columnist Winchell's newspaper column as Ursula Parrott, a 30-year-old first-time novelist, the daughter of a respected Boston physician, a Radcliffe graduate, and a single mother of a young son and a verified ex-wife. I don't know why it's funny to me that they're like, and she actually is divorced. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there was also a tabloid called the Daily Mirror, called it the most talked about story of the day with a full page ad prominently featuring Parrot's name and her pixie cut likeness no longer tantalizing readers by shrouding Parrot's identity and mystery the marketers of ex-wife now strive to make the attractive young author synonymous with her creation insinuating that her novel was a barely veiled memoir fiction or confession a headline asked in october of 1929 amid the stock market crash that precipitated the great depression Parrot received her first royalty check for the modern equivalency of almost three hundred thousand dollars that is the way to plan your life out to get your first royalty check right is the great depression hits yeah you're yeah yeah it's it's honestly shocking and i mean sure it sounds like that they definitely push the whole like is it true or is it not true as a marketing gimmick but Mm. i mean i read the book first and then i learned about her and yeah the more i learned about her the more i'm like it makes sense that this woman wrote the ex-wife like it seemed like she drew a lot from her own personal experiences but like of course you do like that's what authors do yeah i think like everyone does and i think you can debate that with a lot of people on whether or not it was like what that line is yeah to continue on with referencing that new yorker article at a time in the u.s when the stigma of divorce was fading and divorce rates were rising accordingly ex-wife presented readers and critics with a new woman one who is pursuing new vocational economic and romantic freedoms she spent her days chasing a career while her nights were a boozy smear of restaurants speakeasies and amorous encounters she was exciting and discomfitting and morally questionable she was confusing to her suitors some of whom found her at once repellent and irresistible and so i actually did kind of like that the main character was unlikable she was hopelessly in love with this ex-husband that i was like goodness Mm. gracious get over him he sucks i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) but at the same time like my point in saying that is 
it was so relatable though you know like because makes me feel like i'm doing divorce wrong i can say that much i'm like wow yeah you need to go get drunk a lot and you'll be doing it just (laughs) like patty over here is (laughs) oh then this is a line from patricia the narrator is a copywriter for a manhattan department store but also a type a species one that varies in quality and breeding the grade a version per patricia sex appeal dresses well looks young dances lightly can make wise cracks and is self-supporting lets a man talk does not gold dig except for another round of liquors after dinner never passes out or gets rushes or gets sick so that's the woman she's striving to be we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists The person I want to spotlight today is an interior decorator. Her name is Haley Stewart, and her username is I am Haley Stewart. That's Haley spelled H-A-Y-L-E-Y. I know people spell that a million ways. Her bio says, like, DIY and globally inspired interiors. Mm -hmm. She actually has connections through, like, a couple of different places. She has, like, a tile collection that she did through this company called Maitland and Pote. And then she also has a lampshade collection through Tinker and Tallulah. Yes. And it's her first reel, actually, that's on there right now is her lampshade collection. There is fringe. There is velvet. There are patterns. They are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like, a talk about maximalist decor. Oh, I love a good maximalist I'm decor. I love. This is amazing. Yeah, I love the fringe. Yes. Her tiles are the same. Like, they're colorful. They're beautiful. They look hand-painted, which is gorgeous. And then she just has, like, pictures of her house, like, painting her pool, stenciling her doors. Oh, my gosh. This really is amazing. I just want my house to look like this one day. This is literally what I'm like, oh, man, I would love it to just, like, pay someone to come in and be like, okay, okay make it look like this this is exactly what i want please and thank you yeah it's Literally. just gorgeous i love this so much yeah and kind of like a a shout out to our past episode of like is the world losing color and we mm, talked a lot about mm-hmm. how global decor has lots of color whereas like european decor westernization is getting like really black and white and beige so it's just fun to see someone actually making their surroundings like colorful and pretty and embracing that yeah no i fully agree i love it check her out she's got a bunch of stuff so i mean you can go buy it and make your own home beautiful amazing my spotlight for today the instagram page is chords club c-o-r-d-s club chords club i've seen them yay so i actually like went to college with her kind of i mean we lived in the same apartment complex admittedly i didn't really know her very well but you know knew who Mm -hmm. she was liked her of course anyways but she started this earring company and like i've been following the earring company forever because i followed it when she created it like i knew her well enough to be like cool i'm gonna support this you know yeah but it's so cool to like have watched it explode the caption is like make jewelry fun again earring for sensitive ears and like another thing that she talks a lot about is like the earrings have flat backs so then that way it doesn't poke you which is also great for sleeping in so nice Mm -hmm. i leave my earrings in 24 7 like i actually don't take them out Uh so flat backs are like the hoops that don't have a back are absolutely essential to me so i love it when i find jewelry companies that do that because then i will buy them i love it so much and i i just love jewelry that's feminine and flirty and there's a lot of daisies with 
which if anyone has been here a while, you would know that Mm -hmm. I have an artist name named Daisy, which means I do a lot of fun stuff with this. So go check her out. Go buy some cute, dainty little jewelry from her. Again, that's Chords Club. And her name is Lexi. All right, now back to the show. A fun little side note that I kind of drew conclusion to I was just like searching for other authors of like okay who else is like an author in New York you know or just like trying to find some connection and I thought about Sex in the City and Sex in the City tells the tale of like a modern woman in the city dating and striving for career while also her romantic endeavors and I feel like this book was kind of the 1930s version of Sex in the City yeah where it was like the story of a new modern woman who was embracing divorce who is drinking and out on the town and, you know, buying herself clothes and has a career, her navigating divorce and everything. And I mean, for one thing, she's literally like a writer. And think about how many rom-coms take place where the woman is a writer in New York trying to like figure out the problems of love (laughs) and life. And she even has like the roommate best friend who's like the snarky roommate who like gives her little advice. And it feels like this is almost like the beginning of the blueprint of the modern rom-com. Yeah. And so it's fun to kind of see like, oh, the trope of, you know, woman in New York trying to find herself, it's been around for a very long time. I don't know if Ursula Parrott did it first or if hers was the first one to get very popular. Well, the thing you read did mention that divorce was just becoming like non-stigmatized. Yeah, uh-huh. Though I guess some of the other ones don't really talk about divorce, but that is kind of like a very feminist turn-of-the-century situation, so. Maybe we can owe all chick flicks to ursula parrot you know yeah i wouldn't be okay with that yeah i'm okay with that too i love this quote about it too francine prose who's an author she did the introduction in the 1989 reissue of ex-wife she wrote it's striking how much of ex-wife seems far less dated than many of f scott fitzgerald's jazz aid storage and it's true pat's daily life comes off as remarkably similar to those led by so many urban women today as i said draws line very closely so another critic was shocked by the protagonist for not so much for her recklessness or her endurance if half an hour a day in the gymnasium and a diet of scotch will produce all the energy that the heroine of ex-wife dissipates so gaily the regimen is well worth investigating (laughs) i'm telling you we're doing life wrong that quote made (laughs) yeah made me laugh oh man that is so funny Uh uh-huh and then this last thing i want to read is the answer to fiction or confession was both ex-wife is recognizably a novel one that begins with the end of a marriage and ends with the beginning of another that drew heavily on parrot's life a one-night stand with her husband's colleague prompted the collapse of her first marriage a passionate love affair ensued with the married newspaper reporter hugh o'connor and clear stand-in for the knoll of ex-wife the book is actually dedicated to h and transcribes a snippet of one of o'connor's love letters to parrot fun fact she underwent at least four abortions three of them during her relationship with o'connor and the last of which left her with persistent health complications so there was a lot in yeah. her own life that did mirror her writing, which, I mean, like we said, of course, like, I don't know any artist or author who doesn't, but it's like, no wonder she could write so candidly about the modern woman is because that's what she, she was, was writing fun. and she was just writing what she knew. I mentioned it at the beginning, but like during my research, I like from when I started it ended, there was a new article or a new blog post that Marsha Gordon, who was the biographer who wrote the book, and she wrote this article on lithub.com and it's Women on the Verge, the Jazz Age Origin 
origins of burnout. And I thought that this was like maybe a cool way to end because relatable. I mean, <laughs> at the yeah. beginning of this episode and before we started recording, we were bemoaning the fact that we have to work <laughs> and we are trying to figure out how we can give our all to this podcast that we want to and our own passion projects. And you know what? It's just really hard to balance all it of it really as well as personal life and relationships. And sometimes it feels like you can only pick like two, maybe. Yep. Like two things can be going really awesome. Doesn't really seem like anything else can. And I have more than two things I want to do. So that's frustrating. Mm, same. Like hell. <laughs> yeah. So, so I really resonated with this article. So the article starts out with this, which was a quote from Ursula herself. I have a theory. The writer Ursula parrot mused in a late 1920s letter in which she wonders if she should accept an advertising position at arnold constable's fifth avenue store which you know fifth avenue bougie she continues that it's perfectly possible to manage a job and one other thing well but no more than that the trouble usually is that one tries to manage a job and about four other things and three of them go wrong (laughs) i feel called out (laughs) Mm -hmm, exactly and you know I felt a lot of sympathy for Ursula in those Mm -hmm. moments of reading this where I'm like, she gets it. And like we mentioned, like she was among the first wave of college educated working women who could choose to be single, whether that was like being widowed or divorced. And she, after leaving a demanding job, writing advertising copy to dedicate herself to becoming an author in 1928, she came to the conclusion that she and women like her could really not have it all to borrow, you know, that popular mantra that was later introduced and and that theme really was so so prevalent throughout all of her books i'm only mentioning ex-wife because that is the one i've read and the one that was like most popular but in in 1929 she released leftover ladies a nonfiction treatise that she actually published alongside her novel that was published the same year and in that leftover lady she wrote about how impossible it was to be a successful career woman and have a successful marriage and be a parent and travel and maintains one health and figure and keep up social obligations and then quote simply because there is a limit to the amount of vitality a woman has to expend altogether the appendix that a career afforded also has a cost that makes me feel better it does it like made me feel good to read this book and learn about her where it's just like you know what like i'm feeling so connected to this person that lived 100 years ago mm-hmm. you know of it's it's validating but in the sense that i'm like why is society still making me live this way well yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i feel like we've talked about this before i don't know if we've done it on here mm-hmm. but just like you see people online and they like exercise and cook and all of their meals and they like have careers mm-hmm. and then they have families and they just do all of it and and it's just like how yeah you know like, that's mm-hmm. just not possible like i don't know how anyone could possibly be doing all of that successfully all of the time i know i mean and that's such a thing with it yes yeah, like you said like instagram and yeah even just like coming out here to nashville and you know i've had to work full-time out of truly necessity and i'm really thankful for my job but sometimes i look at other songwriters and i'm just like how how are you how are you doing like how how are you surviving and it's none of my business and it's so easy to like want to judge myself of just being like well how are you surviving how am i not surviving but (laughs) the point is is there's just like so much going on in the background of people's lives and if you think people are doing it all they're not there's something that is not there that they're not doing that's not to put them down at all like that's not what i'm trying to do i think it's like to just kind of put us all in the same playing field in a way to just be like there's 
always something that's suffering if you're attempting to do everything. Like, I, I don't think it's actually possible to True. accomplish. And not to be, like, everything. pessimistic about it, but more of just, like, don't be so hard on yourself if <laughs> yeah. you can't give everything you love 100% all of the time. Wouldn't that be nice, though? It would. And I love to fool myself <laughs> and keep thinking that I can. And I keep yeah. proving to myself that I cannot. <laughs> I also, this is kind of relevant. I saw, like, a quote this week that was, like, can we stop saying we have the same hours in the day as Beyonce? We don't. We don't. She has, like, a personal trainer, a personal chef, a business manager, like, probably multiple project managers, mm-hmm. a nanny, like, a driver. Like, imagine how much more time you would have if every mindless task that could be offboarded to someone else was taken away from you yeah you'd have so much time to do yeah the things like, you i love. spent half an hour today cleaning my house if mm-hmm. i had a maid that's half an hour i could be doing something else Literally. you know like there's just truly my yeah. whole morning was spent going to the mdv and then getting my car registered and like doing all those things oh, true yeah yesterday mm-hmm. i spent like two hours just driving and going to the doctor yeah <laughs> oh my god how much quicker if the doctor just came to your house or mm-hmm. if you didn't even have to go they just like i don't know knew what was going on <laughs> beyonce doesn't even need doctors anymore <laughs> she might not they just like look at her and they're like okay literally she's like not even human anymore in my mind <laughs> it's like on a whole other level but no seriously like i i really love that because i think that hearing that that used to be something that was really discouraging years ago when i heard like oh you have the same amount of hours in the day it's like yeah that's yeah so true and like what am i doing i'm wasting my time where it's like actually (laughs) i have to take care of everything so yeah you're running your entire life and no offense to beyonce but a lot of her life has been taken care of so that the things that she wants to focus on take priority and And not even the money buys you yeah not even to pick on beyonce or other women like any multi-millionaire billionaire they've got so many people helping them and doing all the annoying things that we have to do every single day of our lives yeah so and that's what money buys it buys time money time does very valuable buy time absolutely just to summarize give a shout out to a couple more of her works she wrote a novella called breadwinner which tells the story of a girl whose life gets caught up between the two milestones of emotion and ambition there was a novel called next time we live where she actually tells the story of a married couple who both like reach the top of their fields but because of their work they live in different countries and the wife her name is Cicely like she basically just raises the children alone but then 12 years into their marriage where they're actually only occasionally seeing each other she goes to Italy to visit her husband who's on the verge of dying from tuberculosis and she delivers the novel's final line which is next time we live Christopher we'll have time for each other the point that she made though was she doesn't necessarily like condemn her career ambitions it's more of just like there is no blame it's just kind of like an acknowledgement of like this is just what happens when people are focused on their ambition and i think like ursula was pessimistic and also maybe in a way right that it's like sometimes like it is one or the other so choose wisely kind of a thing this is also a quote that she wrote from that last article several months before she became a best-selling author who would spend the next two decades writing as much as she could parrot had the kind of idea that often comes after a night of ample cocktails half joking but fully bunned as she liked to say she told her lover at the time that she had finally figured out a career for herself open a speakeasy for tired business women <laughs> which she dreamed up when i wanted to go 
to have a poor dinner and couldn't think of a place where I wouldn't be stared at. <laughs> and then her mock business proposal went on to describe the woman's speakeasy as having all of the worst features of a pub in a tea room, serve chicken patties and sweet cocktails, <laughs> and have a ward for those who passed out and a lethal chamber for those who got sick. I'd run that. The best part, that she could drink up all the profits. I feel like that's something that women want now, is a place that they can just go, blow out some steam, and not be bothered by men. Yeah. So you know what? History, we're not so different from it. I mean, I guess if the world never changes, the desires don't either. Exactly. <laughs> I do briefly, you know, just want to acknowledge the fact that, like, she was a very flawed woman. She doesn't call herself a feminist, and, like, some critiques of her work would maybe say that, like, almost like she's condemning the working woman of saying like see look this is what i have to deal with but like she wishes for the life that like her grandma or mother had where it's like there was just a man taking care of her and her job was just to be a mom i mean that's not a bad thing to want to be a mom at all and so i don't necessarily think it's like a bad thing that you know she would have wanted that of course i almost think like you kind of have to look at her circumstances too where like she has totally. a kid and her husband leaves her because of it then maybe there was some desire there to be like well i was forced into the life of like a working single mother yeah and that's not the life i wanted yeah. and then i'm sure there's like so much bitterness of like she doesn't really necessarily have a relationship with her son yeah but she's like earning money for him also at the end of her life she didn't really have any of her money left she sounds like she basically blew through it so i don't really know if like her son was like left any amount of money that's not necessarily condemning her it's just you know mm -hmm. she was a flawed woman some people point out like there's maybe a couple moments of slight anti-semitism in her novel too uh, that you know we mirrored don't condone that. some attitudes at the time so yeah that's what i want to acknowledge that like i am speaking very highly of the book i would still recommend reading it i don't agree with every conclusion that the characters come to in the book but in a way it did feel very modern and the musings felt very current to you know similar things that i'll almost like gossip and just like talk about with my own girlfriends sometimes like bemoaning life and existence so yeah i would definitely recommend it and i wanted to end with this last paragraph that was done by like i said marcia gordon who wrote this biography but she said parrot has not been read or taught in classrooms for many years but i hope that her surprisingly relevant tales now almost a century old find their way to a new generation of readers especially women who are still struggling and i think largely failing to figure out how to avoid the particular variety of burnout that afflicts women, which Parrot perceived as a side effect of the equal everything. Sex, booze, morality, work, jazz age. <laughs> I thought that was an appropriate yeah. way to end the episode. Anyways, so there is Ursula Parrot. Like I said, a brief introduction to a very fun and complicated woman. And I hope to read that biography soon because when does it come I, out? I want to learn it is out actually oh, okay. it was published just a couple months ago though like i said we're in the in the midst of a of a hopeful beginning of a renaissance so i'm glad that we can yes. be a part of it and Ooh, well, thank you yeah thank you for being here and for listening uh, of course we'll be back next week with an episode so catch us then and good night and farewell night. bye <laughs> bye <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.